Hello, everyone. My name is Ben Gilberti, and I'm your tech host for today. Your real host will be Calvin Harris, who will introduce his guest, Sarah Walker. And by the way, this is the last uh, presentation that Calvin will be doing this year. He'll start up again next year on January 30th, interviewing Sue Beck. Now, I met Calvin at the Prosperos way back in 1971, though he himself has been a member of the Prosperos since 1967. The Prosperos is a school about the science of being, which is a very profound topic. You can begin by just asking yourself, how is it that I am? How is it that I exist? And Calvin himself is a great expression of the energy and spontaneity of being, as everyone knows who knows him. Calvin does many things in many places. He teaches the main Prospero classes, translation and RHS, as well as seminars and workshops in Arizona, California, Michigan, Oregon, and Washington State. Translation, as a process for discovering the truth about anything. And RHS uh, does the same thing, but dealing with emotions. In addition, Calvin is now teaching a preparatory mentorship program for those interested in becoming professional prosperous mentors. He also creates personalized life coaching packages that enable students greater access to their skills and talents. So now I bring to you Calvin Harris. Come on in, Calvin. Thank you, Ben. There you Aloha, go. everyone. Aloha. <laughs> it's good to see everyone here today. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, Today we have a fun guest, uh, Sarah Walker. And uh, so it's always interesting to see what we come up with, what is new and exciting with, uh, with our students. So uh, I want to welcome everyone uh, to this session. So, uh, so without any further um, mystery. Let me go ahead and bring my guest on, Sarah Walker. Sarah. Hi, everybody. Aloha. <laughs> yeah, I know you're muted, most of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great having you here today, Sarah. This has just been really interesting. Um, just getting to know you over this year because of our work in the um, advanced mentors uh, workshop. So um, having you as my guest today is really kind of fun because of that. Um, now about our interview today, let's start with where I would have first met you. Well, that's easy. That was the Prosperos 
probably about 1970, because that's mm -hmm. when I first came into it. And um, I, I remembered you clearly throughout the years I've known you. Uh -huh. um, yeah, that was our yeah. first time. I, yeah, that's great. Uh, now, Sarah, you have an interesting road in, in getting to the uh, <laughs> to where and yeah. I first met you because um, uh, I don't think that uh, you were born in California. I and mean, I met you in California and I believe it was Santa Monica, wasn't it? That's it. Good yeah. old Santa Monica. Yeah. Okay. Home of the zoo, which we might <laughs> later. <laughs> um, well, I was born in Chicago, Illinois, uh -huh. and I lived there the whole 18 years before I came out West. But it was an interesting uh, time. It was the 50s, basically, that I was growing up. And um, soon after I was born, my brother, I have three older brothers, um, had a, a terminal illness. Uh, kidney infection, there was no dialysis, and it was considered terminal. And my parents obviously were consumed with um, that situation. And so as a baby, um, my needs were not addressed like they would have been under more normal circumstances. Mm -hmm. And um, that was an interesting way to start my life, because it taught me, and it took me quite a number of years to come to realize this, it taught me to ignore my needs and to not ask for uh, people around me to, to take care of them. Because on some level, I knew I couldn't ask for that. And sure enough, <laughs> they were busy with my brother. Um, you know, and then it, then it kind of uh, continued from there with, with that. Uh, my brothers were wild and crazy. Um, they were in fights with each other. They were running all over the place. Oh, they now, were... wait a minute, uh, Sarah. So you're saying that it was just yourself and three boys. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So wild and crazy. Yeah. Okay. So I can kind of see where you were, uh, where you would come up with that phrase, uh, invisibility zone <laughs> yeah invisibility zone yep yep i got yeah. outnumbered out you know talked out <laughs> wow uh yeah yeah and okay. and it, i was you know obviously i guess obviously i was a girl <laughs> and uh my mother wanted a girl desperately and you can imagine with these three boys <laughs> and then five years passed and no matter what, no matter who I was, that was it. She was done with that reproduction. Thing. <laughs> so luckily for me, I was a girl. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, it wasn't as lucky. You know, I mean, I realized later I became a stereotypical girl. You know, I mean, I went to the opposite of whatever my brothers were, the opposite of whatever was considered masculine. And, um, and I got along all right, but at, a, at an expense. But anyway, I had overall a pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty good childhood, uh, punctuated with my oldest brother who had schizophrenia. And um, with that disease also came um, molestation of me from time to time. Um, and in a funny way, it was his way of trying to express love uh, that he didn't know how to do it any other way. And it's um, interesting that it was you and your brothers that he was. Well, you know, I, I don't know to what degree. I think one of them, perhaps some. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Um, the other, I'm not even too sure. Right. Okay. Um, so, but I, I, I stopped the molestation myself. I reported yeah. it to my parents. Nothing happened. So at a certain point, I went to the store and I bought locks. I put them on my door. And so that stopped it. Okay. <laughs> and, and it sort of taught me, unfortunately, in a way that I have to depend on myself when I'm in a difficult situation. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I guess what my point is to all this is that a bunch of patterns got started back then through really nobody's fault. It right. was just ignorance and people busy living lives and stuff we inherited from parents and who knows what. Mm -hmm. And it just yeah. happened. Yeah. So then within that 18 year uh, uh, cycle that you were there, there were, um, there was uh, these family secrets, there was the yeah. things that were going on at home, which may have, uh, I know that uh, with my life and the situations that had gone on that all of a sudden outside interests were important to me and that. And oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> so during uh, that period of time, what would have been some of the, uh, uh, things that you would have done uh, that would have said to yourself, well, there has to be more than this or create that <laughs> curiosity in, in yourself. What was, what was going yeah. on with you? Well, one of the biggest things was dance. And from the age oh. of four on, I've had so many classes and so many dance recitals and just pure love of dance in many different forms throughout my whole life from that point on. And so that has been creativity, joy, freedom, a way to connect with people that didn't require words. <laughs> uh -huh. And, um, and I could kind of break out of whatever introversion or something that I had. Um, so, I mean, to the point when I was 18, and I still living at home, I just graduated from high school and I got fake IDs with a voter registration card <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and I got a job in the nightclub section of Chicago and hired as a cocktail waitress but I ended up on slow nights and stuff like that um, spelling the two black women who were the hired dancers. And, um, and they were happy to let me dance any as much as I wanted. And I made a lot of tips and I learned how to dance. I followed their moves. I danced like no white woman I ever knew. <laughs> <laughs> well, and no I white did. woman of the 1950s anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, by that time we'd gotten to the sixties, but still, mm -hmm. yeah. But before that is as other things, um, I was in the girl scouts, you know, curved bar brownies, um, Job's daughters for a short time. That's a part of the Masons. Yeah. Um, you know, I was a cheerleader. Um, I, I went to a private high school, but on a scholarship uh, because I was uh, flailing in the public high school, not grade wise. I always did great there, but it was a terrible education. It was terribly overcrowded mm -hmm. and we had nothing but substitute teachers. So my parents pulled me out of there and got me interviewed and off I went to this private school in the middle of a semester mm -hmm. and it changed my life totally. Oh, I, I'm sure that that would have um... Also, in the sense of curiosity in that that you, that you had, um, um, and this was during that high school period, were you a, 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 a something with the 
Art Institute of Chicago oh, or something? Yeah. Well, I think I was in the eighth grade, uh, maybe the ninth, and I have no remembrance or any idea of how I got chosen for this. But um, I was the only one from my school anyway. And we, every Saturday throughout this whole school year, I took the train, which was two blocks from my house, went to the Art Institute of Chicago and had a docent led tour in different sections each time of the museum, along with wow. other students my age that were from other high schools somewhere else. And um, unbelievable that I could have that experience at that age. It just kind of mm. fell <laughs> into me, you know. Is yeah. a, uh, we'll maybe come back to what uh, what uh, the situation with seeing so many cultures, so many uh, kind uh, artworks, and that is. But um, it was, uh, and this was all during the period of time where you were at this private high school that this took place. No, it was before that. Actually, I was still in the public school. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, I, I, I was interested in art, but I don't know, for whatever reason, I didn't uh, follow it a lot. I, I won an art award, actually, for an abstract uh, painting I did that was all done in black, white, and orange and all kinds of shades of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, but, I, but I didn't follow through with it. Right. Okay, uh, so at some point, I guess that you're senior year or something, uh, uh, there was a major turn in your life. And oh, yeah. uh, what happened? And what was well, going on? Um, so I, I had, because I went to the private school, high school, and I worked my butt off and I was in a million different activities. I was a cheerleader, da, 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 all kinds of stuff. So I had all kinds of opportunities to go to different colleges on scholarships. And all of the ones I'd applied for were in the Midwest. I don't know why, but that's, <laughs> and then I got pneumonia right around the Christmas of my senior year. And I was, you know, like Ben, Ben and I had this talk recently. We were both in oxygen tents, not together or knew each other or anything <laughs> at the same time in our senior year of high school. Anyway, so I was there for some weeks getting rained on under my oxygen tent and um, thinking about things. And all of a sudden, uh, going to school in the Midwest was no longer. <laughs> I wanted to get to somewhere warm and dry. <laughs> so um, I had an opportunity to apply late in the senior year to USC, the University uh -huh. of Southern California. Right. And uh, boy, I went for it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it's interesting because uh, at the time that you would have been going to SC would have been at the height of uh, the counterculture that was going oh, on yeah. in this country. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, and so where individuals were really starting to say, well, you know, some of the kinds of stuff we need to kind of look at, we need to kind of examine. And um, uh, do you think that some of that might have had something to do with your major at, uh, at the, the university? What did you take? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it did. I mean, we were immersed in LA just, you know, and I was always running up with friends up to, uh, you know, Berkeley and Golden Gate Park and everything else, the love ends. And, uh -huh. and funny enough, I wasn't really into drugs particularly, you know, little pot, but 
you know, but anyway, it was all around us. And so my senior year, um, you know, there were all kinds of protests of the Vietnam War. I marched in the Cambodian one. Um, but I had the opportunity to take electives my senior year in college. Before that, I was focused on psychology and what all other requirements. But at this point, I could pick what I wanted. So I signed up for class in new uh, religious and philosophical movements in Southern California, <laughs> AKA New Age. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and boy, did that open up doors, not only doors of mine, doors actually. Um, my professor, Dr. Elwood, was, I call him a spiritual anthropologist because he had absolutely no judgment or opinion or anything other than what an anthropologist would be looking at when he looked at the, all these different groups. And he presented our class with a smorgasbord of you know 50 or 100 different groups we could choose from. And we were to pick two. And what and, were you and, to do when you picked them? Well, what we were to do is to uh, research them, find out about them, you know, go to a meeting or whatever we needed to do to, to really know what was going on and then use his outline, which I wish to God I still had, <laughs> um, of how you uh, understand the organization and their mm -hmm. teachings. And then you present it in person um, orally and then you do a paper. It's interesting uh, that what uh, some individuals may not know, but uh, uh, Dr. Elwood is, uh, and the paper that Sarah wrote uh, uh, was the uh, founding information for the article that he wrote uh, about the Prosperos. It's interesting because uh, Sarah, you, you were, saying that the Prosperos maybe was not maybe your first choice. <laughs> it's funny well, how things happen. <laughs> I guess I would have to say it was my third, but kind of my second. So the first one, I won't, you know, get into too much detail, right. but it, it was uh, Kabbalah and yeah. uh, astrology and stuff like that. I forget the name of the organization. The second one I wanted to pick was witchcraft. And um, I was, I thought that'd be really interesting. And so then I talked to somebody who was in it and they said, well, you know, we can't tell you any secrets or really tell you much of anything for six months. You're in this uh, preliminary place where we don't divulge that. And I thought, oh my God, the class will be over. And I'll be <laughs> so that is not going to work. Uh -huh. um, so then um, uh, I don't think the teacher recommended the, any particular one. I just saw the Prosperos on there and I thought, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. I don't know what that is, but let's try that one. <laughs> <laughs> we, so are so we are so pleased <laughs> that you did and that, uh, that uh, the work that you helped um, move in that book um, that he uh, had written later that came out of that, which was wonderful. And I think maybe a little bit of what he got too might have been because I invited Perry Dickey, who was a mentor back in the 70s with the Prosperos, to come and help me with the oral presentation. Um, still, still not a big fan of speaking. Okay, so but anyways, <laughs> so he helped me, <laughs> and um, and he, you know, added some more details that I didn't necessarily have. But I was excited. I knew I had picked the right organization to study 
because they had open meetings, unlike witchcraft, and they were being held at this communal house where a bunch of the Prospero students lived, and that's pretty open. <laughs> and, um, and then there were, you know, other classes you could, uh, you know, register for whatever. So it was, it was open, 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 open doors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that at that time in your life, open, open, open doors were really important. So um, your uh, your degree then was uh, it was in psychology and yeah. and how did uh, how did that uh, uh, take place or what happened uh, during uh, your time time of graduation and oh yeah meeting mm. the Prosperos and that sort of thing. Well, first I sort of hung on to my identity as a USC student and then grad. And I got a mm -hmm. job as a psychometrist, uh, administering tests and being a proctor and so forth, uh, mostly academic, but once in a while psychological. I, we didn't grade them, you know, we sent them off. <laughs> um, and uh, then from there, you know, a, a bunch of different jobs, a market research company for six months um, with direct mail. Um, I also, uh, well, I had some temporary jobs, but we won't get into that. I was a wholesale carpet showroom manager in West Hollywood, which was a very exciting um, artistic kind of place to work. Um, and it was during the, the oil embargo and the price of oil went through the roof and the carpet prices went through the roof and there were no sales hardly. <laughs> it was an interesting place to work then. Um, but I realized uh, that it was time for me to do something else. I didn't want to stay there. And uh, so at that point, I decided to sell everything I owned, basically, and go to Europe uh, alone and travel. And um, I was only going to be gone about three months. And I remember Thane um, talking to me at the Prosperos when he heard that. And he, he was sort of encouraging me to not go as long as, you know, I hadn't really said how long, but he picked up, I guess. And, um, oh, but, well, you know, well, Sarah, weren't you also involved with the, uh, the Prospero's newsletter at that time? Oh, yes. Yes, I was. Yeah. Okay. That was my, my non-paying, my volunteer work, very yeah. involved. I don't know what television was. I was at the Prospero's <laughs> newsletter or in classes or partying or something. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was the coordinator of the newsletter. Some people might have called it editor, but that uh, title was reserved for Thane. So my interactions personally were with him over that. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and uh, it was a lot of work, mainly because I made it more work than it needed to be actually, but it was. Oh, now that's, that, that's an important thing because I think so <laughs> yeah. many of us who have gone through classes and that realize we're making it more work than what, what it mm -hmm. needs to mm -hmm. be. Yeah. Well, I had it in black and white that I was making it more work because it was printed, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I, uh, um, you know, uh, making a newsletter that was like 20 something pages long single type you know there were some photographs all of it done basically by hand we had no computers back in the early 70s uh cut and paste by hand everything by hand R wrote a lot of the articles assigned articles collected the articles <laughs> you know the whole nine yards i had a few volunteers who helped 
But um, for whatever the reason, I was determined, and I have that Taurian determination. Mm -hmm. I was determined that I was going to pack a wallop of information and <laughs> news about students in that newsletter or die trying. You know? <laughs> and uh, Thane would have this conversation with me, you know, Sarah, you know, white space is good. <laughs> you know, he was very, very gentle with me. I will say that. Um, uh -huh. I was kind of afraid of him, you know, because I felt like he had sort of x-ray vision and could see right into me and not only me, but other people, but could see right into me and he could see if I let him and if I, you know, got too close to stuck, stuck around too long that I, you know, he might see me for whatever I was. And I wasn't that clear on my true identity and that that was just perfectly fine thank you <laughs> so so I did this little dance with Dane and you know all the other people around uh you know for a couple of years I think and I finally got someone to replace me then I sold everything and went <laughs> no, <what> did you? <laughs> uh -huh. uh, and, so, uh, so yeah. I I guess you were in Europe more than just three months then how long yeah, were you there I was, I was after three months uh, spending quite a bit of the time at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in all, you know, four performances a day, wow. experiencing of all different kinds for weeks, you know, just amazing. Um, and, and just traveling around Europe, then I, my money started to get low. I mean, I had a return ticket and I, you know, I was all right, but I had to make a decision. <laughs> I had to either get a job or I had to go home. So um, I got to Munich, West Germany, and was enjoying the hell out of Oktoberfest <laughs> <laughs> and met some other Americans. And the next thing I knew, I met Americans working on an army base as civilians. And they said, well, you know, they always need maids, chambermaids, we call them, but maids. So I applied for that. I got the job. I got an apartment that went with it. And um, so I, I cleaned people's uh, from the military. I cleaned their apartments for about, I don't know, six months or something, saved some money, went traveling some more. Then I came back mm -hmm. to the U.S. It's interesting because then when you came back, you renewed your um, association with the Prosperos as a, as a member and that. Uh, how was it coming back to the school at that time? Because we do have students that come and they leave and they go and they come. <laughs> what was what was your experience coming back at that time? Well, it was joyful. You know, it was saying hello to people I, I already knew. And, you know, of course, meeting new, interesting people. Um, I had uh, always loved the sense of community of the Prospero, still do. It's all that's always been a big part of what I enjoy about the Prosperos, you know, besides the teachings and classes. But uh, at that time, it's very exciting because the Dynamic Arts Lab was going on, <laughs> which, which was uh, musically oriented. And yes. then from there, uh, some but not all from Dynamics Art Lab were in the Clap Saddle Corral, which was the uh, mainly musical comedy kind of uh, performances that we put on. So I got involved in both of those and just had a blast. In fact, I remember Thane saying, and I totally agreed with him, that really just about everybody who's serious about um, getting on with their spiritual life needs to be in something like that, something where you're acting or it could be 
singing, telling a story through song, but some way so that you can know when you're playing a role consciously mm-hmm. and then uh, and then what's behind it. And um, and so I, I learned I, I had to actually overcome in unsinkable Molly Brown. I had to <laughs> overcome some um, stuff I was still tied into in a role in order to play that one uh, at all. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, it's um, uh, almost like um, Gurdjieff doing his his physical dance uh, uh, portion. It's something else that is there. And music is, yes, has always been, a, I think, an um, important part of Prospero's uh, teaching in that. Yeah. It's interesting because there, there was something that happened to you while, <laughs> while ah, you were yes. performing. <laughs> Yes, I was just about to say, so we're on the same wavelength. Um, after the performance was over, we did these on the weekends, may, not every weekend. Um, I go, I went into the audience like the other uh, members would go. And I met this very interesting, sort of charming older man with a Scottish accent <coughs> named Bill. Now, Bill, and I don't think I ever told you this, Calvin, Bill was dating Carla, I think her name was, who was also (laughs) in our performing group. And so Carla saw me talking to Bill and she rushed up there and she was like, she didn't say anything, but her body language was, he's mine. (laughs) So I'm not the type of person to go in a situation like that. So I backed off and I was polite and I just kind of went, you know, went on. And then I found out not long after that, because Judy Devon, who was also in the performing group, was um, a good friend of the guy who was my, my Bill's best friend. So anyway, she enlightened me that no, Carla was not <laughs> really a thing. And Bill, you know, said that too. So I started dating, dating Bill and it led eventually are getting married and uh, in a whole new life uh, from that with his step, his daughter coming to live with us as a teenager and all the kinds of fun you can have when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting because uh, at this time, uh, not only are you doing all this with, with the um, Prosperos after you return, but uh, you, uh, you have, um, cemented I guess your degree in uh, psychology at that point yeah well well what happened was first I had to make some money so Mm -hmm. uh ever the the practical one um Uh (laughs) when I came back was when I came back from Europe and landed in Santa Monica uh, I was a live-in nanny so that paid you know that my basics were taken care of but I you know I needed to see what next so I went to massage school Santa Monica had a wonderful massage school. So I went there, I got my um, license and I did massage and that brought in, you know, good money. I advertised in Variety Magazine, which was for show business people in the Hollywood area, uh, LA area anyway, and um, met some celebrities, met mostly I had people that Uh, you know, we're behind the scenes or nobody would really know. Um, But, you know, really interesting, fun, uh, rewarding uh, time. And uh, then I met Bill and he's, you know, we, we talked about values and where we saw ourselves headed and everything. And I know I didn't want to just do nothing but massage for the rest of my life. Um, 
And so he encouraged me to go to uh, graduate school and get a master's in psychology because I would have to get at least that before I could do any counseling. And, and then you have to do more too, but you have to at least have that. So oh, yeah. he helped me finance it and I already had a lot of money saved. So that's what I did intensively. Yeah. So I got my master's in psychology. I interned, I did a practicum. Um, I became a licensed marriage, family and child counselor, MFCC. Mm-hmm. And I really have to laugh because I had never been married. I had just gotten married to Bill like a few months before I got, or a year or something before I got the certificate to license. So I had no experience. I hadn't even had a long-term relationship that was really deep for any length of time. So that was the marriage taken care of. Then I had the, uh, <laughs> the family part. So I had this sort of instantaneous family because Julie came to live with us like, I don't know, a month or two before we actually got married. Uh, very sad, traumatic circumstances. Her mother died and so uh, the various things. Um, and so all of a sudden we had this out of control teenager. So that was our family. You know? <laughs> um, and then the, um, and Bill was from the old world. So he was strict and I was from the new world. So I wasn't. <laughs> you know? um, and then we had the child part. Now I had never wanted to, to have a child myself. Twice in my life, I'd been a live-in nanny. I think that had something to do with it. Um, But I was always clear I did not want children to bear children. So here I had uh, Julie, who was 13. And and so anyway, but the universe, universe laughed with me. You know what the universe did? The universe sent me single women. The practically the only people I ever counseled were single women <laughs> going through transition. <laughs> I didn't advertise them; they just showed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's the individuals that need us; they will follow us. As I always say, <laughs> when the teacher is ready, the the students appear. So <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So whatever you needed for that training, you you got, and it was there. It's yeah. it's interesting too that. Uh, that uh, then even your focus uh, in your volunteer work had sort of then moved towards uh, 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 these women in in difficult circumstances and even uh, criminal justice. Is that correct? Yes. So um, I had I was still doing counseling and even the occasional long-term massage client. So I was doing that and that wasn't enough. So I became part of the volunteer center of West Los Angeles, managing it and working with volunteers, kind of in an employment agency matchup, Mm -hmm. um, except no pay was going on and community service uh, uh, volunteers were part of that and reporting to the judge, but that was minor. They were misdemeanor or parking tickets. And then I met, um, somebody who had 1500 community service hours that needed to be um, uh, designed, customized for that person. And it turned out that person was going to be sentenced. They'd already pled guilty to felonies. It was actually part of a Scientology thing that happened with a snake in a mailbox back in the late 70s. I don't even remember those details anymore, but that was a pretty famous case. But this guy was going to be sentenced and he needed uh, his attorney came to me and wanted. um, No, it wasn't his attorney. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Somebody involved with the case came to me 
and wanted me to design this so they could present it to the court as part of an overall alternative sentencing proposal so that the guy either might not go to prison at all or he would go for less time and do this. So I did that and I got fascinated by the whole thing. And I didn't have any legal skills or knowledge, but I, I sure as hell had all the social work, the psychology, the, I had everything else. I knew resources. Um, and so I got trained in the legal part. And then I started doing criminal justice cases, um, alternative sentencing proposals and private probation plans, mainly. Mm -hmm. However, this was in the 1980s. And any of you that remember that time, especially in California, where I mainly worked, remember that Reagan and all the other policies uh, in the United States were towards locking people up forever. It didn't matter how many thousands and tens of thousands per year per person it took, you had to just throw money at the problem and lock them up forever. So state judges were not interested in doing anything that looked soft on crime, even though doing what I was proposing, accountability, responsibility, paying back the community and everything else was harder in some ways than doing Absolutely. that. So, so that was, that was challenging, you know, and I started out with teenagers on a grant in the barrio and the ghetto. So I worked strictly with what we used to call minority youth, um, people of color, I guess we call now all the time. And, um, uh, went into some seriously crime ridden areas. Um, mm -hmm. but my street smarts from nightclubs in Chicago and coming home at five in the morning, you know, served me well. <laughs> so very well. Um, and I never had a problem, but yeah. yeah, so it was, uh, difficult, um, to spend all of these hours and effort lining up all these programs, nailing them down with letters of intent and on and on, and then have the judge usually say no thank you or they pick one thing out and well, so that wasn't oh, hard enough I went on to adults oh, you know, okay where the judges uh, had to be elected every every so often yeah, right <laughs> which is good <laughs> the uh the but then around this time uh life threw you in another ringer yeah so um, my late husband, Bill, uh, who was much older than me, got Parkinson's disease and um, he retired, took an early retirement from where he'd been working paper mate and in Santa Monica. And then that meant we could, we could move somewhere. We didn't have to stay where his job was. And Julie, by this time was, you know, grown and doing okay on her own. And we didn't have to stick around for her for that. So um, we left. I, I took a criminal justice uh, case in Medford, Oregon, Southern Oregon. I love the area. Absolutely loved it. Not Medford so much, but Ashland. And so I got my husband up here. We looked at it and we moved as soon as we were able to find a, a house. So that started a whole new life in Ashland, Oregon, right over the border from California and uh, a new career for me. I um, became a, a real estate agent, a realtor, got my schooling and license for that, started building a business. Um, it's interesting building a business when I didn't know anybody. <laughs> I knew nobody <laughs> when I got here, you know, except our agent, the real estate agent. But anyway, um, 
and also got involved in the life of the community in many ways. The American Association of University Women, um, I got onto the board right away, probably 89 or 90, I think it might have been, and was on that a while. And then uh, felt like the organization, I was one of the youngest ones and I was like 40, 42. <laughs> it needed a new direction. And so I recruited every you know, dynama dyna dynamic, there we go, woman I could find. Uh, and we kind of formed a core and we turned things into a new direction. And it was much more towards the real mission of AAUW, which was um, for the education of women and girls and fostering that. So, so we got Sarah, that on that, on that. So again, uh, Mission and focus are two of the major things that, that mm -hmm. we see where uh, many organizations fall apart or, or do not make any movement, would you say? Oh, absolutely. You can get set in your ways. You know, um, we have our projects or we have our ways we do it every year. And, um, you know, inertia can set in. It's, it's nobody's fault. It's not, you mm -hmm. know, you just, every organization, I think, needs new blood maybe younger people, but it doesn't have to be necessarily younger chronologically, but new blood, you know, otherwise it's not as easy to rethink. Now in the Prosperos, we can rethink. Um, so I think, you know, but even here, you know, I think there's, there's room for, you know, new practices, but um, it was, it was a very exciting time. I uh, didn't know until I was actually elected and serving as the president. And that's when all these changes really started to make because I wasn't in the position of le a leadership team until then, um, that we were going to have the state convention in Ashland the following summer. And no. I was going to be <laughs> president of AAUW when that happened. So we had to organize that. So that was on top of doing full-time real estate, <laughs> trying to change, make all these changes and grow our membership and do the convention. So I made one of the smartest and only decisions I could have ever made <laughs> and had my sanity. And that was to delegate the entire convention mm -hmm. to someone that I truly trusted. Yeah. And then I just checked in her briefly, you know, here and there, and she just had it to do. And she did great. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Trust so, is another major <clears throat> situation that goes on that helps move uh, organizations forward. Okay, so then while all of this is going on, then all of a sudden you suffer the death of your, your husband? Yeah, you know, uh, Parkinson's, um, you know, is a can be a fairly gradual disease. And, and my husband actually had it 17 years before wow. he died. But um, in the end, you know, that's, that's what, what did it. Now, he, now, many people with Parkinson's never get the dementia part, but he unfortunately did get the dementia part. So I, and I was the main caregiver for almost all of that, that period, that whole period of time. So um, I learned actually a few times to improv with him while he had dementia and didn't recognize me. You know, he reached a point where he didn't normally recognize me. And he thought I was somebody from his work where he used to work that he thought was arrogant 
and, and bossy. <laughs> and, and he thought that was <laughs> because, you know, he had dementia. So I, I had to take charge. I had to play a role that I hadn't played that much in our marriage. It, it really flip-flopped and then some, you know, our role in that marriage uh, because of his illness, really, and especially yeah. the dementia. And Sarah, that's interesting, too, because in life, we we see that many times in many situations, we're going to have to kind of flip flop roles yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and as as it goes on in that. Uh, and um, so uh, as our time is getting short, your uh, your uh, after your husband's death then um well then my mother died my mother died within two months of him um from different causes and she was in los angeles so i was spending time with him and then jumping on a plane and spending time with her so as you can imagine after they both passed and i i did stay home a lot and grieved a lot and we did that uh but as soon as I could, I was out. I was learning salsa dancing. I was going to nightclubs <laughs> in other big cities doing salsa dancing. I was, uh, you know, learning, meeting all new friends. You know, I met Patrick, who's sitting right here with me. <laughs> and, oh. <laughs> um, you know, just sampling all kinds of activities and just kind of going nuts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in a good way. Right. Because then also, it was. Oh, go ahead. It's that care to the self that is so necessary that you were uh, once again giving and seeing, I guess, um, uh, what was important to you. And it's interesting mm -hmm. that at this time, this seemed to be also the the time that you kind of, um, well, COVID is now hit, and it's that time where you're rethinking about your connection with the Prosperos. Yeah, and I I began the real serious rethinking in the recession, Um, not to spend much time on there, but I I gave Job a run for his money in terms of crises and and (laughs) really horrendous things in a four-year period of time. But anyway, it did make me more humble, more compassionate, um, more resilient, and um, questioning my values and getting to the core. And that was kind of what needed to happen before I could you know, sort of get more directly back on my path. Now that was a while ago, you know, but it, it took me a while to kind of recoup financially and get on stable footing and, and begin to, to get back on my path more. So when I, um, when COVID hit, um, the sense of community here is really what drew me back first. And, the, and I started taking a lot of classes. I'd had a ton back in the 70s and a few times in the uh, to earlier 2000s. But I was drawn to the community and the classes. And then I got, I really got it. I need to do more. I need to be uh, doing more with my life. I need to be making more of an impact. I need to um, do more with and for the Prosperos. It just focus. Focus, Sarah, focus. (laughs) So um, I knew that by being in the mentor, uh, advanced mentor workshop, which I am, and thankfully, Calvin, you've had this wonderful way for me to grow and stay on my path. And if I got distracted, I could quickly get back on track. I mean, I don't know what I would have done without it to, to try to get to where I now have a mission 
And my mission is to inspire, teach, counsel, and empower, especially empower people to joyfully and creatively bring more compassion in the world, mm-hmm. starting with ourselves and, but then spreading it out. Sure. And um, so that, and I can think of all kinds of ways to do that. I have a lot of Gemini. You probably can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Venus, Uranus, Uranus. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, I can easily think of a whole variety of ways I can do that. But the main thing is I have a mission and whatever I do needs to fall within that. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is about it. Again, I'll take up these conversations uh, starting in January. So I want to wish everyone uh, a happy holidays. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, they start usually at Halloween and end uh, in <laughs> January. But. <laughs> <laughs>